Well, hello and welcome to this month's Deep Roots podcast, Conversations About Theology and Ministry. My name's Tim Ward and I'm one of the faculty here at Oak Hill. And it's wonderful to have in conversation today uh, David Baldwin, who's our Director of Global Mission, and Ray Porter, who teaches World Mission here as a visiting lecturer. I'm, I've been looking forward to having this conversation about wish, World Mission because you two guys are real experts. You won't blow your own trumpet. But you really are. So it's wonderful that you uh, both teach here at college. Just um, tell us uh, a bit about yourselves. Go on, Ray. Why don't you carry on, Dave? Well, okay. So I've been um, teaching here for about 12 years, picked up from Ray. Um, And uh, before that, my wife and family and I, we were in Ethiopia uh, with Serving in Mission. And there uh, I was involved in Bible teaching and also uh, English language for outreach so that's my background. Uh, came and went from a strong sending church in Reading, which was like a, an aircraft carrier, strong and stable in the water, and great for missionaries to fly off and come <laughs> back to. So that's my background. Now I live in Birmingham. Great. And tell us about church in Birmingham. So, yes, Moore um, uh, and I have got involved with a small church plant or replant. It's a congregational church in a very multicultural area, which nearly died out and saved um, two or three members and uh, now a younger couple have come in more and I support couple others are joining the church and we're seeking to re-establish a gospel work there but be aware of <clears throat> and relate well to the fact that there's lots of Sikhs there lots of Hindus Muslims people from all over the world and lots of different faith backgrounds so terrific and Ray yes well I um, came to Oak Hill in 2005 I came here seconded by OMF, which was the mission agency that I'd been working with in Indonesia and in the UK, and set up a completely new degree program in um, theology and world mission, Mm -hmm. with the conviction that many missionaries are under-trained. There's a lot of people who sort of think, well, you know, if you're going out to another country you just go with your Bible and whatever experience you've got yourself. But in the world today, as always, really, you need people who both know their scriptures, know their theology, know how to think about crossing cultures. Mm. And Oak Hill had the foundation of great biblical courses, uh, great doctrinal courses, and we brought in the element of world mission as well. And so I taught here full-time, uh, running the course. And Dave uh, was picked up really by Dan Strange, who used to be here. Although I knew Dave because I'd been New Testament lecturer in Belfast Bible College. And Dave had been one of my students there. So there's a nice I, sort of... I didn't of, know that. There's, there's I'm going to tap you for stories when we... Finished recording. Ray, yeah. tell us about um, experience overseas earlier yes, in your life. I, I, we, I, we had 13 years in Indonesia, mm. oh, 14 years in Indonesia, where um, I was uh, pastoring and church planting. Mm. Um, it was a tremendous experience because uh, I'm working under Indonesian leadership as part of an Indonesian church. Um, the first church I worked with was in a town uh, which was then the size of Birmingham. Bandung, um, in a congregation of 7,000. And then I went down to, um, very curious really, the denomination 
asked me to be the pastor of a church, mm. which for a foreigner, uh, it wasn't the period when you expected foreigners to ever be put into that position. But there was a church where they thought that uh, someone who was outside any of the ethnic groups would be able to to lead this congregation. And um, the fact that I came as an OMF missionary um, free uh, was also a great advantage yeah, to the church at that stage. And that was a, church, a much smaller church of 1,200. Oh, really tiny. Community. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, with um, a central church in a, in a market town mm. and um, a five village churches around it, okay. which we ran as one congregation. Mm. Um, a congregation where two-thirds of the members had been converts from Islam. Hmm. Um, and we saw um, conversions from Islam during the time we were there. That's tremendous. Um, but it was tremendous to have a congregation like that where you'd had so many who had come to faith in Christ yeah. um, and were first-generation Christians in that way. That must, have um, been, that must have been hugely exciting. Yes, yes. So, Fantastic. Uh, well, I mean, a tremendous breadth of experience many years in Africa and in Asia. Um, before we hit, hit record, you two guys were telling me the just extraordinary list of topics you've been cooking up. We probably won't have time for all of them. Where do you want to start? Well, I mean, Ray and I, we were talking about the question, do we still need missionaries today, especially Western missionaries? That was one of the first ones we thought of. What else did we talk about, Ray? Um, well, why not kick off there? Well, let's start there. Yes, go for that. And then we might remember what else we talked about <laughs> yeah, we later. Might do. Should we try for a one-word answer? Um, if you've got a one-word, I, I usually run on to rather more words. Well, I'll, I'll say, yes, we still need missionaries today, and we still need Western missionaries today, yes. And then you can add yes, some more uh, words. I mean, I think one needs to qualify what one means by that. Um if you still have the picture of pith helmets, and if your image of a missionary actually is the Apostle Paul, and you think, I must go where Christ has never been named, and I will go myself, forgetting that Paul had a missionary band with him usually, um, the individual reaching out, without remembering that, of course, the gospel has been advancing in the world. And in most communities of the world, there are now Christian churches. They may be quite weak churches. There may be countries like Japan where there's a lot of towns and certainly villages in Japan where there is no Christian witness. But there are Christian churches within the country, within the community, may not within the ethnic group you're going to work with, but in a neighboring ethnic group. And to go in as a foreigner saying, I'm going to evangelize these people, I'm going to plant my church, is an arrogance that sadly characterizes many, many Westerners and has down, done, done down the centuries. Do you still see that attitude there in some people who are coming forward from the West, offering for service overseas? Um, yes. Um, uh, Western c culture, of course, is a broad statement, isn't it? Sure, sure, sure. And you have the different aspects of Western culture. And it must be said that um, the British are pretty good at arrogance. 
But some well, are, well pretending not to be. Well, well <laughs> yes. While some other countries um, are even more brazen in their self confidence in going into mission, mentioning no names. Um, no, I'm. I remember when I was in Bandung. Um, uh, someone coming to me who was an independent missionary from another country, which I will not name, but he said, there's no one born again in this city. And I sort of said, well, you know, I am part of a congregation of 7,000, and whilst I, I couldn't count on every one of them being born again, um, many of them are, but they probably don't use that terminology hmm. because there are many other biblical terminologies about what it means to become a new creature in Christ Jesus. Yeah. Um, and uh, it was quite funny, actually, because um, this man had gathered a, a sort of small group. And one day I was um, leading um, a service in the home of one of our members. We had regularly um, house groups every week, and I was leading this service. And this missionary came in because the husband of the family we were in had been going to his services and he had someone else from his mission he'd brought to show their prize convert. And they came in and there were we as a congregation. We welcomed them to come and join us and sit down. Hmm. But um, it's that attitude yeah, yeah, yeah. that, you know, I'm going to go and do my thing. If you look at the history of Western missions since William Carey in 1792, Famously, he, he, well, he wrote his inquiry into the need for means. Uh, the whole modern missionary movement kind of kicked off from that. Um, uh, I'll come back on that well, one. You can moment. do, yeah, yeah. And uh, <laughs> the story is told, isn't, that, isn't it, that he, he, he stood up in a meeting and was told, sit down, young man, if God wants to convert the heathen, he'll do it without your help and mine. But Carey won the day. And the missionary societies got started. And, and in that 200 years since, mm. um, Western missions have dominated, which is a bit, as Ray said, we've got 2,000 years of Christian history and the gospel going out cross-culturally. So it's a bit of a blip, a bit of an anomaly that the last 200 years have been dominated by Western missions. Mm. And I think we now need a bit of humility uh, that the church has grown has, has prospered, is sending out missionaries from other parts of the world, so especially Asia, the Korean missionaries I was working alongside, um, African missionary societies, they're sending a lot of missionaries, uh, and Latin American in particular. These regions, these three sort of continental regions, uh, they're adding to the mission force. So yep. Western missionaries need to change posture uh, and work alongside in partnership with these other newer sending missionary countries, I think. So it, this is really interesting. And, it, and many people have heard this, you know, from, from everywhere to everywhere is the kind of language that gets used now for mission. Yeah. For someone who is wondering if God is calling them overseas or a pastor seeking to discern that kind of call in others or maybe foster it in them, what does this mean about what we should be looking for and fostering in those whom the Lord may be calling to go elsewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yes, can I just correct one thing, though? Yeah, I mean, please William Carey, me, um, from the well, British point of view... Once your teacher, always your teacher. From, yeah, from, I, I from I the British this. point of view, is maybe the beginnings of, um, of mission, um, certainly into what we would describe as the majority world. Mm. But um, the Dutch had been there a hundred years earlier. 
Okay. I, As, uh, I mean, the first Protestant missionaries really are the Dutch. Mm. And um, translating the scriptures in Taiwan, in, in what was the Dutch East Indies, um, from, uh, from the beginning of the 17th century. Right. Was that wrapped up in, in Dutch expansionism The Dutch East Indies Company, as one of its... Um, the conditions of its um, monopoly from the government was to establish the Protestant faith, mm. yeah. uh, which the British East India Company didn't didn't have. Mm. I stand corrected. Now we need to circle no, back that's to really the helpful. question. So actually, that's Paul. kind of, that shows, doesn't it? That in a, is this right in a sense? What we're still grappling with in the West is what what does mission look like if it's not riding the coattails of empire and expansion? Yes. Yes. That's kind of the issue, isn't it? Yes. So I'll come back to your question. Please do. I'm um, sorry. I knew but, you would. Um, um, what do you say? Well, I mean, first of all, you need to have someone who really does have a burden for the gospel going out mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and someone who's proved themselves to be a gospel person. Yeah. Um, uh, I remember one person arriving in Indonesia and saying, I'd never preached do you have any opportunities for me to preach in English before I get the language, you know? And I thought, well, who on earth sent someone out to be in a situation where you needed to preach if they had never preached? Sure, sure, sure. Um, and then you need to have um, an understanding that you're going to work with probably alongside, under a national church, Um you are going to have to adapt yourself to them rather than try to force them into your mould. You have to have a degree of humility, not thinking that you're the first, fourth member of the Trinity when you arrive somewhere else. And, of course, the whole great thing, going back to the um, question of Christian experience, ministry experience, um, that crossing water doesn't transform someone. And what they are here is a preparation for what they will be there. Mm -hmm. That's right. And when the, the pressures of cross-cultural life, in particular ministering in a new context where you're new to the language and the culture, you feel like a baby, some of those underlying... No missionary is perfect, obviously. The Lord uses foreign people. The Apostle mm -hmm. Paul talks about his thorns in his flesh and his weaknesses. Um, but things will really come out under pressure. Yeah, and yeah. that's why good screening is needed. Um, so to come back to your question um, in a couple of ways, as Ray was talking, it made me think of the first church to, to call and send out, which actually wasn't the Jerusalem church you might expect from the early chapters of Acts, but was the Antioch church. Mm -hmm. um, it already was quite a cross-cultural church, and Greeks and Jews there, and Barnabas rocked up as Cypriots. He'd been in Jerusalem too. He went and got Paul from Tarsus and uh, they ministered there. And, and as Ray said, they proved themselves at home in their ministry, staying in Antioch for uh, a year, teaching, yeah. preaching, transporting a gift, demonstrating financial uh, credibility and reliance. And only then in Acts 13 do we read that that church, and you read the list of elders, their names actually are indicative mm. of, of quite broad demographic. You've got you've got uh, somebody serving in Herod's court. You've got obvious Africans yeah. there, if you yeah, look at yeah. the names. They pray, they fast, they lay hands on Paul and Barnabas and send them out. But um, 
Paul and Barnabas, if you'd have been able to stop them and have put a mic in front of them at that point and say, what was your sense of call? Um, it would be fascinating to hear what they said. I think they probably both would have said they had a burden for the lost for, from other nations. Mm. You can look at Paul's conversion story where he reflects a little bit on his conversion to Christ and his calling into ministry. What would Barnabas have said? I don't know. They grabbed others and took them along. Uh, uh, Timothy, for example, they, they grabbed him and, and took him along. So it's interesting the different ways people get involved yeah, yeah. in cross-cultural mission. But I think one thing they would emphasize was the importance of the sending church to which they always returned to report back at the end of every missionary journey, back to Jerusalem, back to Antioch, and report back. We're accountable to the local church, which cuts across the Western trend for individualism and this kind of mystical sense that I have a missionary call, but it's nothing to do with my church, and uh, the church needs to test uh, a sense of calling. Yes, I remember one person who, um, they were going to resign from the mission, and I immediately picked up the phone to their church. They then said, why did you contact our church? Said, your church sent you out. If you're coming back, you need your church's permission. Um, you know, mm. to put that whole relationship yeah. in the right context. Well, let's dig into this a bit more. What, what, kind of, what kinds of good practice do you see uh, from the side of the local church in relating to those who they've sent out? I mean, out of sight, out of mind is always easy, mm. isn't it, when ministry is incredibly busy. So what kind of good things do you see going on, local churches doing? Mm. Dave, you're probably... <clears throat> well, I think as Ray said already, um, uh, making sure that the local church is cross-culturally wired and think, well, look, if they're preaching through the scriptures, mission is there, cross-cultural movement of the gospel is there. So faithful, faithful exegesis and hermeneutics will imply a missiological impulse so people will want to be involved in the gospel going okay. from one group of people you had to a another. You had a really tightly packed sentence there. Yeah, sorry Something like, sorry. Uh, faithful exegesis will imply yeah, a missional yeah, yeah, yeah. impulse. Well, okay. Just in common language, I suppose, all I'm trying to say is if you open the Bible and read it, it screams mission uh, because the, the Bible is all about God's story of salvation and that involves all nations. And when you get to... Uh, the Gospels and the Acts, obviously, starting with the Jewish people. Then the Gospel is going cross, across cross-cultural okay. barriers yeah, yeah, and yeah. it's spreading around the world like wildfire. So that's just going to be in our preaching and teaching if we're actually seeing what's really there in the Scriptures. It's going to be there. Yeah, yeah. But then churches will be thinking about how does this flesh out mm. in terms of our involvement? Uh, what have we got going on locally? Because there are very few parishes or, or church areas where there aren't people from the nations mm living there around the church. So how does cross-cultural mission flesh out for us here in this local church? Yeah. And then, of course, not thinking in a clunky way that that's different from overseas mission, but joining the dots up, connecting the fact that we will also want to send, call, test, and send people to other parts of the world too, uh, and to think of all of that as our cross-cultural mission. Yes. Yeah, one of the best things, that when, when I was a pastor, I think one of the best things we ended up doing in order to develop a missional focus just keep those that the church had sent out always supporting in mind fresh in mind as if they were part of us the best thing we did was we we had a little run of groups of uh, church family members going out to visit them yes and because so i mean lots of churches do this in a sense it's a no-brainer i can't remember where the idea came from but there was a real buzz around who's going to go and 
they come back, you know, you have a church evening where they show their photos and they tell their stories and they then become, you know, evangelists for the mission that they've seen in action. And I, I, I had a slight worry that, you know, for the two weeks or whatever that they were there, that was slightly, you know, cramping the style of the person who should be at it. And of course, how wrong that was. Mm. The, the mission was saying, oh, how wonderful. That, I'd love to have them yeah. kicking around for two weeks. Yeah. Um, the, the thing that surprised me was the people who put their hands up to say, I want to go. Yeah. Some of the people who I thought, there's no, there's no way they're going to want to spend two weeks in a village in Tanzania in fairly rudimentary. I mean, ha- I just totally misjudged them. Yeah. Read some older people mm. just going, yeah. I've not travelled much. I'd love to see. Yeah. I'm but sure you've seen that kind of thing. In yeah, so you can't second guess the Lord on uh, how he's going to provide for mission in terms of finance, in terms of personnel. And I've been very surprised, but A, at where money's come from, not where I've expected. Yeah. B, the types of people that the Lord calls uh, for short term or for long yeah. term, uh, even if it's just for a visit. I think your point's very, very pertinent. Uh, Chris and Roz Howells, who were graduates here, are mm. probably in Ray's early classes now serving in Uganda. They've written a list of top 10 things uh, that are good ways to support your missionary from your local church. And they include some of the things you've talked about, things like don't think you're bothering us by calling us, writing to us, emailing us, phoning us up and visiting us. Okay. And uh, they like to be pestered. They like to feel that they're still well connected to yeah. their sending church yeah, yeah. and not out of sight, out of mind. He goes as far, and I think he's pushing the envelope, to say, you know, consider us as a member of staff but just serving in a different location. Huh. Uh, keep uh, us informed of church meetings and keep us involved. Yes. I have one caveat, though. Mm. That is that nowadays, when a missionary arrives at their destination, yeah. their first question usually is, um, how do I get on the Wi-Fi? Mm. <laughs> and this idea of continual communication with home actually is counterproductive sometimes to people really getting stuck into the culture where they've gone to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they're so concerned to keep their supporting base there that they never really feel part of the local community. Mm. Um, I remember uh, a couple who's serving in Africa I once met who said, you know, they, they were lacking fellowship. So I, I sort of inquired about the, the, the country they were in and the church that was there. And yes, there was this church of several hundred, but there were no Westerners to have, to have fellowship with. So I said, well, what about the Africans? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you having fellowship with them? Are you recognising that um, these are your brothers in Christ and that's where you need to put your roots down mm-hmm. now because that's where you're serving? Mm. You make a very valid point, Ray, and especially in the first few years. And I know your organization, OMF, particularly strong in this. People shouldn't return for the first four years. And mine, SIM, were the the same. Because in those first four years, when you're really committing yourself to a new people and a new language and a new culture, it is very important not to keep looking back home. So I I take your point. And I think we have rules about how long before you can actually have visitors. Yeah. Which is wise, I think. Isn't it's, it? it's wise yeah. because you've got to get into the language, yeah, you've got to get yeah. into the culture. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. When we went to work in Indonesia, the, um, the church that we ended up working with, um, the lead pastor sort of said, well, you're coming on this condition. You live where we tell you to live. Mm. And you have fellowship with us 
and it was a city that had the hills on one side, and um, and you don't go running up the hill all the time to have fellowship with other foreigners. And that was the conditions. And yeah, yeah. We had a, norm, a normal house um, uh, in South Bandung, which was the area that had been destroyed by the retreating Indonesian army when the Dutch advanced and then rebuilt by mm. them, rather than the houses in the north, which were still the Dutch bungalows. Okay, okay. Um, so you live there. Yeah, yeah. You have that fellowship. You've, you've, and, um, if you, you moved know, there, you've really got to live there. Yeah, um, uh, you know, we almost didn't, didn't dare speak to a to a foreigner for a little while until they asked us to run an English service, but that was another matter. Yeah. Can I ask you, did you feel well cared for by the church which had made this insistence? Uh, um, y- yes, I mean, we felt very much that we were welcomed in as part of that church, mm. and we were really part of it, and... I mean, the important thing for a missionary, really, is not only to get into the work, but also to know and have fellowship with your um, with the people you're working with, but also be able to relax with them. Yeah. I remember when we came back to England for, for a short while in the middle of that time, another missionary couple who were still in a stage of developing their language study came to live in our house. And I sort of said when I came back, well, how did you get on with them? They didn't joke like you do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, being able to joke in somebody else's language and cultural yeah, yeah. thought forms is, is a sign that you're really making yeah, good yeah, progress. Yeah, yeah. And when exactly. we when we, when yeah. we went back um, uh, some years ago, which was about twenty years after we'd left, um, the street sort of came out. You're back. You're back. Mm. You know, it's so nice. good to see you again. These were the Muslim neighbours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's tremendous. We had. Mm. That's tremendous. Mm. So you know, that's the sort of yeah. relationship I think one wants to build up. Yeah, in the community. Absolutely, yeah. I mean that's true wherever we live, isn't it? But especially yes. if you're going overseas. Yeah. Wonderful. Take us somewhere else. Give us another topic. Ooh, could we talk about Ray? Could we talk about the relationship between the mission partner, be it a single a couple or a family, the church, and the missionary society or missionary agency, which is a bit of a triangle? Mm. Could we talk uh, and Crosslinks yes. especially? Neither of us were with Crosslinks, but. Um, we, we've got a lot to do with crosslinks, and they describe it as a, a three-way part, a triangular conversation. Let's talk about that for a few minutes. All right. What, 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 what role does, why do we even need missionary societies? Well, let's start calling them agencies um, to, to suggest that they are uh, like catalysts, facilitators, rather than have their own interest. Yes. yes. Society was a good word in many ways, wasn't it? Um, I mean... Um, Kerry, it was the particular Baptist Missionary Society because at that time society was um, uh, something new in, in, in new in new in the culture that you had a you know a society for the improvement of manners and um, a gentle folk society and all this sort of thing. So the idea of a missionary society, the idea of people um, collaborating together and being together in fellowship. Um, you know, agency is a little bit more distant, a bit colder, I think, as a term. Mm. Um, it maybe preserves the idea that, um, uh, you know, we are, we, we are doing a task, but um, you lose some of that fellowship idea. Yes. But why do you need them? Um, you need them in, in, in some ways as facilitators. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some churches that send out missionaries directly 
um, they often piggyback on the back of societies. I remember uh, one well-known church that was sending out its own missionaries, you know, they said to me one day, you know, you've got people in Hong Kong, haven't you? Yes, yes. Do they have to come home every year for a holiday because there's nowhere to go on holiday in Hong Kong? I said, no, and there's plenty of places to go on holiday in Hong Kong. But their missionaries had sort of told them that there was nowhere to go on holiday and they had to come back every year to have a holiday in England. Mm, so there was no society to mediate There was no, that no one there the with the local it. knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Is that what you find? Yes. Um, very often, as Ray said, there is an impulse, and there's almost a biblical uh, warrant, depending on how you read the scriptures, for thinking church to church is actually cut out the middleman. You know, there's some people who've even said to me that missionary societies or agencies are a little bit parasitic, and that's far too strong. But I think some mission leaders have realized that sometimes in the past, mission societies or agencies have come to churches and they've wanted the money and the best people. Yeah. Uh, but that they're going to boss things. And I think they're realising that the local church should call the shots. Uh, God reveals his wisdom through the local church. So you've got local churches in sending countries and receiving countries, and they are oh, they are the, the body of Christ, not the yeah, mission yeah, yeah. agency. Uh, but that expertise, uh, a church thinking they can do it without a mission agency, sometimes gets people in trouble. Um, mm. So they, they may send somebody... Uh, to another country where there's been no agency helping them work out things like medical care, uh, how to set a, a budget, which is the right budget so we live at the right level in the society we're going to, mm. some cross-cultural orientation and expertise, evacuation procedures if necessary, and all these kinds of things. Yeah, so yeah. societies, they've been doing that for 200 years. So there's some level of expertise there that local churches just cannot have. Mm. So it makes sense to have a, a partnership. Okay. And as Ray says, if people come without a society, they'll end up running to the door of the societies on the ground and saying, I've got this problem, please, and we've seen it again and again, please help us. That's really, that's really helpful. Where, where next on your hit list of topics? Oh, well, should we go up the drive and, um, and think about the mission tree? Ray... Um, As in, because we're down in the bowels here, aren't we? So, we so up there, along up the there, drive... Near the gates. The mission tree. The, Ray yes. was, is probably best placed to talk about the mission tree because yes, I think you probably put the silver <coughs> spade in, didn't you? When we... Um, <laughs> uh, um, I don't think I was allowed near it. Um, yeah, the, the, I think the Queen wanted to do it, but we go, no. Well, it's got yes, yeah, the, um, sorry, Your Majesty. Yeah. Yeah. It was when our first year of teaching, we started teaching in 2006, so this would be 2009. It took me a year to write the course, and 2009 and get it validated and all the rest of it, you know. So um, 2009 was the first graduation of people who'd done the three year course. Mm. And. Um, they wanted to somehow commemorate that this was now the completion of okay. this degree course. Yeah, and yeah. so um, the initiative was taken to buy this uh, Canadian um, red oak tree. It had, had to be an oak, didn't it? It oak had to Hill. be an oak because we were at Oak Hill. And to plant it in the grounds. And now it has flourished. And it's been exciting to think that as the tree has grown, it's a bit like a tree in Narnia, I suppose, <laughs> Um, as it has grown, so these people who graduated from the course have gone out into other places. Yeah, yeah. And um, five continents, 
60 different individuals we totaled up, didn't we, yes. a couple of years yes. ago, mm. have now gone out to certain... Now, some of them are on deliberately on the cross-cultural course that Ray started. Others were just here to study theology, and the Lord called, sent yeah, yeah. them overseas. So um, we, we reckon that there are about 60 people, uh, some of them have come home, who have gone and served overseas from Oak Hill in the last yeah. 20 years, which is... Yes. It's wonderful. And, and it's been exciting to see where they've gone, what they've done, to see their ministry, the way their personalities have worked out within their cultures. Mm. Um, and, and as Dave said, the other thing is that having brought a mission course into Oak Hill, people thought mission in a way they hadn't before. The late Mike Ovey, um, Last time I think he met the college council before he, he sadly died, he presented this um, uh, mind map of where the college should be going. Mm. And right in the centre was the Great Commission. Mm. Mm. And he blamed me for bringing this in as the centre of the church's life and direction yeah. Yeah, with yeah. the mission course. Mm. But yeah. as that course had been taught, so other students, some some who one would never have thought about going overseas, thought they would go overseas, um, they've gone. Mm, mm. Um, maybe into um, um, church ministries, international churches, but otherwise to plant churches in different countries in Europe, as well as to be involved in mission around the world. Yeah, And as um, these mission partners have gone, and some have come back. We've noticed too that uh, they've they're, they're often, when a society mission agency is looking for a, a new director, they often appoint old oaks who have served overseas and come back. Um, steady hand on the tiller, <laughs> well theologically trained. And mission societies um, have not only appointed, but they, they have praised Oak Hill graduates who have gone into mission overseas. Because as Ray said earlier, if you send your roots down, we're back on the tree thing if you send your roots down deep theologically and biblically um, it gives you uh, endurance uh, perseverance in ministry that's true at home or anywhere around the world but especially where life mm. and ministry is tough um, it's important to get a, 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 alongside the cross-cultural stuff a deep theological training Did you, so. do you want to say a bit more about that how you've sort of how you've seen that happening in individuals and maybe experienced that yourself Yes, well, from personal experience, uh, I went to Belfast Bible College, uh, where Ray was one of the teachers. Uh, I wanted to do it as quickly as I could, get the training thing ticked, yeah. get out and save the world. Now, that's what most young, arrogant Western missionaries are like. And uh, some mission agencies do have that line as well. They do. But a wise one will say, as my pastor said to me, slow down, young man. You know, you stay in the church, prove yourself in the church, a bit like Antioch. And Sorry, I'll interrupt you. Carry no, on, it's fine. Uh, and then you train thoroughly. So I, I gradually got convinced by that and stayed for four and a half years uh, at uh, Belfast Bible College. Not to say everybody needs to stay that length of time, but it's those and, and loved learning about the Word of God more yeah. deeply. Now, when, when the going was tough, there were things that kept you there. You know, I'm thinking rural Ethiopian location, mm. difficulties in ministry. It was a deep theological knowledge and love for God and his word and a sense of personal call confirmed by the church. They're the things you kind of cling to when right. you're going okay. gets tough. Ray, what do you think? Yes, I mean, I think so. I mean, some years ago there was um, a project on um, resilience and whether why missionaries 
return yeah. and what who keeps going. And they found a correlation between the years people had done in missionary training and their resilience on the field. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. As in the deeper the training before they go, yes. the it more wasn't, resilience. It wasn't just theology training. Yeah, you yeah. Know, if they'd just been to a theological college, it didn't didn't make a change. Yeah, yeah. But if they'd been to a college where they'd also really thought through the training for mission, and so they had their missiological understanding as okay, well, okay. they were better for the situation. That's right. And that's the remap. Um, yes, remap uh, project, work, wasn't it? Remap 2, yes. All Nations College, and they had people from all over the world come together to look at this question of missionary attrition, why people leave the mission field. Uh, obviously, there are good reasons to leave the mission field, yeah. like if you get to retirement age or or, or the job's done or something yeah, like yeah, yeah. that, you hand up. But this is looking at bad reasons, mm. so attrition, which is preventable, and that's what the REMAP study was. And yes. uh, that was one of the factors that they isolated, wasn't it, the depth of training? Yeah. So, I mean, when it comes to a church, um, thinking about um, someone, it doesn't need to just be someone young, actually, of course. Sure. Um, and another area which um, I, perhaps, I don't know how much more time we've got, but uh, the other area to get on is is, is is talking about professional missionaries, which we'll perhaps just talk, uh, touch on in a moment. Yeah. But when a church says... Um, we believe that God is calling you into world mission. Or someone comes to the church and say, we believe, I believe God's calling me. Then if the church say, yes, we endorse that call, the church also should be willing to put their money where their words are and actually finance them through their training, mm, mm. as well as when they go out to the field. Yes. Now, you've written controversially on this in Evangelicals yes. Now, haven't you, Ray? Yes. An article which says, well, churches, they pay for their local staff, a vicar or a minister, whoever it is, a youth worker. Um, but missionaries have to go around lots of churches, cap in hand is how you put it. This should not be. And churches should undertake to, uh, well, they should provide all the financial support, not just for their local clergy or ministers, but for their overseas ministers too. Um and if I mean, if it's a church that can't afford it themselves, they they go to their their, their brothers and sisters in other churches okay. and say, "Look, here is this person. You haven't got any missionaries. We have. I mean, we're not in the situation of the churches in Singapore, where on average there is one missionary from every church mm -hmm. at least, and um, you yeah. know churches are all sending. But can I just move on to another topic, please? Um, we talk about missionaries going out. Um, what are they going to do when they go? Um, in many places, the church is doing the task of evangelism very well, but there's a need for training in discipleship um, and how to live as a Christian within that culture. So it's very good if some people who go out, uh, maybe um, in years to come, it will be the majority of people go out, don't go out as um, full-time gospel ministers but go in some secular job yep. where th within that job they can then evangelize um, and where they can be an example to the national church and the national Christians of this is what it means to be a Christian working in this culture. And that's a very valuable thing. Of course, the difficulty is that there's many Christians who in this country 
don't think of themselves as missionaries within their workplace, as Christian witnesses in their workplace. Um, Hudson Taylor, who founded the China Inland Mission, had this idea that people should be fully supported so they can be fully committed to gospel ministry. William Carey, of course, had a different view. He said people should be financed to get themselves out to the country to establish themselves, then they should get a job. Okay. And then they should work there. And, um, oh, so that view goes back as far as Carey. I had yes, yes. Okay. Carey, had that, Carey had that idea. I mean, he was employed in the jute industry. Huh. Uh, I mean, you know, in addition to translating the scriptures into um, 13 different languages and with the team of 40 languages, you know, he was actually doing a job mm. within a company. Um, there's a fascinating article on who was William Carey, written by two Indians. And I mean, the, the work he did was extraordinary. Um, the way in which he advanced botany within the country and uh, the first botanical gardens came out of Carey, the first university, etc., etc. And, of course, the other thing he did, which um, is a bit controversial maybe for some, in, the, in addition to translating the scriptures into the Indian languages, he translated the Indian classics, the Ramayana and the Mahabharata, into English. Okay. Because he says, we need to understand their culture. Wow. Can you see in the in the New Testament any kind of precursors to this? Sometimes people call it creative access or business's mission, going especially to countries where it's difficult to get a missionary visa and doing a job. Um, but in the New Testament, do you do you see any precursors or? Well, I I, I mean, there's the Apostle Paul with his uh, sewing business, yeah, um, making tents, yeah. which is often they talk about tent making, yeah. Um, but, uh, I mean, in the New Testament, you had Christians who were crisscrossing the Roman Empire in their work. Mm. You've got Lydia, haven't you? Yes. The, I the mean, fabric uh, who, who, I mean, she's dealing in purple. She is a rich woman yeah. with imperial contacts, yeah. and she is there. Yeah. Um, you've got um, other people um, who um, have all these... Um, Connections, yeah. you know, yeah. the connections into Herod's household. Yeah, yeah, and Aquila and, and Priscilla, of course, they were and, also and Priscilla tent also tent yeah. makers. Yes, and, and they were involved in gospel ministry. They were moving around cross culturally. They were kicked out of Rome by yes. Claudius, weren't they? And yes. they were involved in their trade and spreading the gospel, which is fascinating. A few years ago, I had a young couple come to see me here. They didn't study at Oak Hill, sadly, but they came to see me because they said they had a burden for Japan. Mm. And we talked about all the different ways they could get to Japan. But he was working for Hitachi. Okay. So I said, could you get a transfer? Yeah, yeah. And he applied and got a transfer to Tokyo mm. to work with Hitachi in Tokyo. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was very tough mm. because Japanese working patterns are very, very sure. long days. Yeah, yeah. Um, and... Um, but he was able to get into places that, you know, they, they could have dinner parties for his Japanese colleagues. And when after two years his foreign contract ended and he went on to a local salary and a local position, then much more they were accepted as being part of the Japanese team, reaching people that missionaries would never reach. Um, I don't know of um, any converts, 
Um, but um, certainly they were building bridges yep. as a Christian. And he was showing what it meant to work as a Christian within a Japanese company that other Japanese Christians could then see, yes, you can live here as a salary man, yes. as a Christian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Which is very yes. important, I think. I think so. And sometimes people in a society are quite suspicious about, a, especially a Westerner that might come in, yep. that doesn't seem to have a proper job like the rest of us. And this enables people to fit in. So uh, somebody presents from another country, people are thinking, well, what, what do you do? It's one of the first questions we ask each other, isn't it? What do you do? What do you do for a living? And people are thinking about that. Mm. And if it's not immediately obvious, it can create some questions. Yes. So there's uh, pros and cons on either side. The person who is fully supported, they can focus on yep. their ministry. Yep. The person who's got a local job, they may be so overworked, they might find it very hard to do any Christian ministry. And you just have to get the balance Maybe something in between works quite well part-time. Yeah, that's, like helpful. That. that's helpful. That's helpful. We need to always be thinking creatively. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, This has been a tremendous conversation. Ought to bring it into land. Before we do, I'd love to give you a chance, Dave, to talk about what you and your wife, Maura, do with the, the 219 ministry. Yeah, sure, yeah. be great to hear a bit about that. Yeah, so two, Ephesians 2.19, Paul is reflecting on the, the cosmopolitan nature of uh, Christ's church and Jews and Gentiles, barriers broken down and being together mm. in Christ. Um, so that's where the ministry gets its name from. Uh, we've added a bit more memorably, Teach to Reach, uh, thinking about how to help churches in the UK to connect with multicultural um, communities around them. Very often, um, churches want to connect with people from other nationalities. I'm thinking of established British churches. They may have other nationalities already in the congregation, and they may look at people from other faiths and other backgrounds around them and think, how do we connect with them? So we just try to build a bit of confidence, provide resources, get them started. Very often it's through things like international cafes, which yep. Friends International are very helpful on too, mm. with um, tertiary education level people, um, and maybe English classes, uh, depending on what a church wants to do. Um, reaching out, uh, not just across the world, but across the street, cross-culturally. But then, of course, you've got to think, what happens if people start becoming Christians and join the church, which obviously you want? You can't assume they're just going to fit into a British worship style. So it throws up lots of questions about integration yep. and diversity in church life too. But that's not a nutshell what 219 tries to help with. Great. And just so if someone was intrigued, wanted to just see more of the resources. Yeah, so it's all on the website. Just Great. type in 219 Teach to Reach. And you might get a, a restaurant in, in Los Angeles, but your second hit will probably be there's this ministry. Yeah, <laughs> Tremendous. Yeah, Tremendous. Um, just to finish, it would be great to hear from each of you. I mean, thinking, I guess, thinking of a pastor, they, they want to be mission-minded. They know that you know, the demands of a local church ministry, in a sense, always suck them in, mm. but they keep wanting to push out. That heart is there. What would be a top tip, something that they might know or or have lost sight of, or might just not quite have occurred to them, a top tip just to keep that front and centre? Well, I think that I'd, I'd come back to, to Dave's point that he's just been talking about, really. Who have you got in your local community, and how are you going to re reach out to them? Mm. I mean, I know there are parishes in England where the congregation is a gathered congregation, really, Anglican churches, yeah. but if you look at their parish... Yeah. The majority in their parish are actually people who've come from elsewhere mm -hmm. uh, who follow a different faith. How are you connecting to them? Yep. How are you relating? 
So before you think about the question of, are we going to send missionaries overseas, what are you going to do on your doorstep? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Ray. Yeah. Your tip. Oh, uh, I'd say um, open up the Bible. Um, that missional cross-cultural impulse is there. And if we're faithfully teaching the Bible, then that's going to come across and we need to teach our congregation what the Bible says. But we have to do it, bearing in mind that we are culturally located ourselves. I think sometimes we think we're neutral, we're culturally neutral. We just read the Bible and it says what it says, yeah. that's the gospel. But we're failing to realise that we're actually, in my case, I'm a British person reading in English with a certain educational background and that will colour the way I appreciate it. Mm. And just a bit of a self-awareness there, I think, helps us to not be so focused on our own concerns and our own communities and to think a little bit further afield. Great. Yes, I mean, I think that in, in preparing the text of Scripture, mm. it's very good if the pastor can actually find commentaries from different cultures. Um, and increasingly they are being written and... Well, I guess they've always been written, but increasingly they're being published and marketed, aren't they? Yes. I mean, um, I discovered, I mean, this is not a, a Christian commentator, but Jonathan Sachs writing on the Pentateuch. I've read him and he asked the questions I'd never thought about asking of the text. And it's a new insight into yep. what the scripture's teaching yeah. from a Jewish point of view. Yeah. Um, and you, if you can do that from other cultures as well, yeah. it's wonderful. Amen. Wonderful. Dave, Ray, thank you so much. I've really enjoyed this conversation. We, we're going to stop now, but we may just yes. continue talking about these yes. things. Thank you so much. <laughs> thank you. Thank you.